Well, I'll open this up with prayer and um, introduce our speaker. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, giving us a new day and a fresh sunrise and an opportunity for us to, to gather and learn a little bit about each other and our, our, our journey together and the, the, the hand that you've placed on our lives and the people around us. Help us uh, be attuned to all the community issues that are facing us and those who are running from a physical storm. Help us uh, be the, the, your hands and your feet and your, your mouth and your ears when the appropriate situations arise. Thank you so much for our church and uh, the mission that you've given us in this world and that you've given us plenty of, of men and families to, to be uh, empowered to be about that. Help us find a little bit of joy in each moment and see that uh, you had that in store for us. In thy name, amen. Amen. Well, um, I am pleased to say that our speaker this morning is one of the, I think probably the only court-appointed uh, court appointed friend I have. And, I, and so the story begins about, I don't know, 20 years ago, when my next door neighbor, uh, who was a being an, becoming an expert witness in several medical situations, she had 25 boxes of paper and she needed help organizing that so she could testify about it. And, you know, that's 50,000 pages or something like that. And um, she approached me because I was the geek next door. And that has been the basis of a lot of different relationships. But she took me to meet a judge who was going to say, well, what can we have in the courtroom and whatnot? And when I asked the judge, who was apparently a Georgia, a Florida Gators fan, because when you looked in the shelf at his office, it wasn't messy like mine, but everything was coated in Gator paraphernalia. Um, and Judge Cochran, he used to be a member of RUMC, said, I know the guy you need to meet. And so he appointed Jim Coyle. He said, there's this guy at Paper Host. And the name of the business has changed as the business has changed. But he said, you need to go meet with him. So he, a judge appointed me to go meet Jim Coyle for the very first time. <laughs> and um, about a million pages later, um, uh, Jim and I started a small group uh, because I wanted to see if we could move choir from Thursday night to Wednesday night and do all the family stuff on Wednesday night at RUMC. And so that small group today is still the small group that I cling to when you know, um, in good times and in bad. And so um, Jim has was appointed to me by a judge. Um, I'll try and, you know, at the end of this, tell you a little bit about how I think that appointment process really works. Um, and the fascinating thing was about two years ago, he said something to me that profoundly affected my walk. Um, he's always been sort of a big brother in business to me. And um, so we met between our birthdays. We both had big birthdays that year. And uh, we were talking about, you know, what, what helped guide us and what, how we prayed. And it was, it was a great conversation. And Jim said something to me that st has stuck with me to this day. And I probably think about it once a week. At some point in his life, and maybe he'll share a little bit about that, he stopped praying for outcomes because he felt like that was putting God in a box. Now, I'm a planner, engineer, like to have my own, mm -mm -mm. and so, boy, I, I do, I tend to pray for outcomes. I said, this is what I want. God, would you please get along with that picture? 
and Jim said that in a kind, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to knock me down a notch when he did it. He was just sharing where he was in that. And so I am grateful for the gyms in my life. And um, I have a, a gym that taught me how to fly and a gym that got me through Georgia Tech. And let me introduce to you Jim Coyle, who has been um, a good friend to me on many fronts for uh, many years. He's been at RUMC even since the beginning, as far as I was concerned, at least 25 years. And um, it is my pleasure. I know he is heavy into rotary, which he has managed not to get me into somehow over 20 years. But um, I'm very pleased to say that Jim Coyle uh, is going to lead us this morning and share a little bit about his journey. And um, I'm going to mute everybody as best I can. And hopefully um, that way, uh, Jim, uh, if you have questions or anything like that at the towards the end, then uh, you know I'll try and unmute, or you can unmute yourself. So, Jim, thank you so much for being here this morning and um, being a, a court-appointed friend that has stuck with me now for probably over 20 years. Thank you, Eric. And if you'll give me just a moment to strike the paragraph about not praying for outcomes, I'll be ready in just a second. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, too, um, think that a little prayers or a lot of prayers is good. I had had a short one I wanted to toss up myself. So I'm going to start with that if I could ask you to indulge me. So um, with that, bow your heads and Jesus Christ, my friend, I thank you even at times when the physical presence of the church seems distant and unreachable. You gather us with the promise that we're two or more gathered. There are three or more. You are with us among us and still working in our lives. Thank you that this group of connected men are willing to give up two hours of their morning to hear me speak. And before Eric goes off mute, Jesus already reminded me it's only 20 minutes. But seriously, Lord, let there be something in the exchange of ideas today that resonates in the mind, the heart, and the soul of someone that needs to hear it, even if it is just another step in my own life journey. In which case, I thank you for the experience. Amen. So, um, you know, the world of Zoom meetings is a challenge because I was always taught that when you start any kind of a talk, you should start it out with a little bit of humor. And if you want to make a comic depressed, let him land his first joke with everybody sitting on their hands. So um, I will only start with this anecdote since everything has to talk about COVID these days. But I heard something the other day that I thought was rather poignant. The guy said, I've been locked in at home for so long that I finally, I finally found the end of Netflix. And so much like, um, much like if you vote, you get thrown in the jury pool. I think part of what prompted Eric to reach the very bottom of the barrel, he's clearly running out of speakers, but it was um, the notion that, that I actually reacted to one of the speakers, and we may touch on that later, but that's not what this talk is about. But I wrote a screed, and it ended up being something that we chewed on in our small group, and boy, if that isn't a way to get an invitation to the podium, I don't know what is. So that's what I think prompted some of this. We've had so many great, impactful speakers to this group, people who have life journeys that talk about life and death and mission work and addiction recovery, prison ministries. So my life is truly not a page turner. But this morning, I simply wanted to do the only thing I really know how to do, and that's introduce a friend of mine called Jesus Christ. So um, I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia. 
it was a very churchy town. And that's where I first met a friend named JC, and it turns out he did too. James Coyle, or Jimmy Coyle, as I was called back then. I was a product of a well-church family. I did everything that's cliche. I was a Norman Rockwell Christian and grew up in Sunday school classes and, and the whole nine yards. But I first got to know JC because in Charleston, unlike the experience my children had, the churches were the absolute center of the community. And I don't mean from a faith standpoint. I mean, if you wanted to play basketball, you joined a church. You joined a synagogue, you joined a mosque, you joined the, the, the Catholic church. The leagues were church-based, and it, it gave you an identity of being church-affiliated, even if you weren't terribly well-churched. Get the difference? So anyway, um, I could tell there was something special about my friend JC, because my parents talked about him in the stories, in the prayers they taught me to pray, knees, hands, verses. But I still had a long way to go, and I talk about the um, the startup of a suburban church because even back then, it was a large downtown church, and it was stayed in its ways. It had a very elderly minister that I remember as, as the early part of my childhood, so it was a, a bit of a trek downtown. Here in Atlanta, we think of 45 minutes is no big deal, but it was a trek. And so a group started a, a splinter church, if you will, or a branch church. It was actually sponsored by the parent church. But it gave us an opportunity to give me my first taste of what it's like to bring young energy, young ideas, different methodologies of worship into a service. And, and it was the first time I saw the difference between trying to move a barge, you know, which would be change in the big church, versus being able to take something that's more entrepreneurial and, and launch it. And so it gave me an early view as to how you can find the church experience that fits you, as well as hope that you can help influence the church. So back when I was growing up in the 60s, yes, I'm 61 years old, <laughs> much older than you, Eric. Um, we had the, the same kind of secular unrest and and disturbances that, that we experience today. We had the Vietnam War, we had civil rights, we had uh, the pill, we had women's rights. So all these things were, were creating a new outside world that influenced the church and churches have to change. But you know what? I, I look at the travelings of Paul and Timothy and their mission wasn't about how can we make the new emergence of this thing called Christianity fit the secular world of each of those communities as he went around. It was quite the opposite. And it was to bring them in line with the fundamental doctrine that he thought was frankly immutable. So anyway, I was baptized Episcopalian. I grew up Presbyterian. I married a Methodist. I mean, excuse me, I married a Baptist and we compromised on Methodist. So what's interesting about that is that um, my dad, when he first married my mother, she was Episcopalian, and being the good new husband that he was, he went to her church, and he put up with that for about a year, <laughs> and he didn't know when to say amen and when to kneel and when to stand back up, and so I think at some point he persuaded her that we needed, as a family, to all migrate over back to his church, which was the big Presbyterian church. The good part that comes out of that is I'm one of four siblings. I'm the oldest, so I had something that none of the other children had two extra presents at Christmas because I had godparents. <laughs> so that is not something the Presbyterians do. All right, so um, my wife, Cheryl, 
38 years we're coming up on this week. And just to show you how solid our marriage is, uh, the anniversary is on the 8th, which is Saturday. I'm playing in a golf tournament, and she's going to Edisto. But but we're okay with that. <laughs> so, um, she spent 14 years teaching in the RUMCK program here at the church. That's how also we got to know the Stevens through uh, Cheryl's interaction with, with the kids and, um, and with Cammie. Um, but it's also through my wife Cheryl's help that I learned more about JC too. And through her and that connection, we were pretty much welded at the hip to um, RUMC. And um, a lot of my friendships and connections grew out of the fact that she was over there constantly. And, and by association, I was slowly being dragged into the, the, to the world of, of RUMC. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had a friend that you were very close to, either in childhood, teenager, college friend, and Again, this is a little cliche, but you think that you have something better than a casual acquaintance type interaction. And so you do things together and then suddenly life changes and a job move or some other reason puts that friend in another town, another state, another country. And there's promises made. Everybody says, we're going to stay in touch, but you know how it works. It ends up, you fade into greeting cards at Christmas and occasional emails, the flame of friendship starts to die down. It doesn't go out, but it dies down to a flicker. And yet there's a day when suddenly everybody says, let's get back together. We're putting the band back together and you can pick up where you left off. And it seems like you can renew that friendship, renew those promises to do a better job of staying in touch. As I promised, my faith journey is a well-worn path of getting close to my friend JC, but then falling away from him. And, and I don't think I'm unique in that at all. I think it's a well-told well story, but there's no doubt that I've had my, my fallings away. And it was mostly in the, in the time frame that it often happens between going off to college and having children. And that was probably the lowest, lowest point. Now, let me tell you about something that is pretty personal, but um, I have five friends that I can count on my hand, and Eric's, he's in the running to be six, but he hadn't quite made it yet. I'm working on him. But people who you've had a lifetime experience with, that if you get into trouble, you won't be able to call them because they're going to be sitting in the jail cell with you. They were people that would run across hot coals for you. They understand all your flaws, and they love you in spite of it. If anybody any man especially can, can count a full hand of fingers of friends that meet that kind of qualification, you are blessed beyond measure. And this is a little tough because <clears throat> I have had those five friends and I've lost three of them as in death. <laughs> and, you know, one of the guys that I work out with is one of the ones that's left. And I, I always joke with him in the morning, how you feeling? Because <laughs> quite frankly, being a friend of mine, seems to have a statistically bad outcome, but it doesn't take away the fact that I had those friendships, and it certainly increases the value of the ones that you have left, and you want to make, make more, and so um, this friend JC, you know, you don't want to lose friends that are that close, and yet if you don't nurture it, it happens. 
So my weakening with JC started in college and it lasted through my early marriage and attended this college called Washington and Lee, which is now the latest victim of the uh, cancel culture, not on one count, but two. I think both of them own slaves and oh my God, there's a whole committee now deciding whether they need to change the name of the school and the alumni are up in arms, but there's faculty that, you know, are, are uh, woke and apparently we're not woke. And so, you know, there's all this, I'm not going to make the speech about that, but it's one of the other things that triggered me in the last couple of weeks. But what happened at Washington and Lee is that I found this thing called a computer. We didn't have laptops. We didn't have PCs. It was just mainframe stuff. But there was no question from that point forward that this was how I was going to make my living for the rest of my life. Problem is, Washington and Lee didn't offer a major in computer science. So I had to slog through a physics slash engineering degree. And what that means is, you don't know enough about physics or about engineering to become a physicist or an engineer. But I fell in love with computers, took every course they had, ended up running the computer center, writing some of the software that was used in the administration's programs, and, um, and then applied to try to go to this little trade school down on North Avenue in Atlanta. And uh, another reason that there's a connection between Eric and I. And anyway, so I knew from the get-go when I got to Georgia Tech that I wanted to start and run my own business and it would have something to do with computers. And I was probably there because I was hell bent on finding something that would put a diploma on the wall that had the word computer in it. In reality, I might've been better getting an information systems degree at Georgia State and taking more accounting and things that would actually help run a business instead of um, the kind of courses that might help you design the next operating system or the next computer. But anyway, it was a good run. I enjoyed it and I literally started my business in the second bedroom of my apartment, um, I have never turned a resume into anybody, and that's kind of fun. I've looked at a hell of a lot of them, but I haven't turned in one for myself. Um, so that's what essentially got me started in business, and I took one class at Tech that I really think, it's become common in colleges now, called entrepreneurship. But back then, that was a fairly unique concept. And you had to write a paper to the dean of the school to get into the class because it wasn't a difficult class, but he was trying to get students who truly felt that they had a passion for entrepreneurship. And the cool thing about this class is, and you know, I wish, I don't know if Rusty's on or whatnot, but some of the guys that know the tech community from back in the, in the early 80s when the PCs were first coming out and whatnot, but you had Ben Dyer running Peachtree Software and you had John Imlay at um, shoot, Software America or whatever, um, titans of, you know, Dennis Hayes. These were guest lecturers at, at the, at the, um, in, in the school. And, and so you would go to class and listen to people who, who were going to have a meaningful effect on, on your market and your career. King and Spalding would send somebody over to talk about intellectual property, but that planted the seed and there was no turning back. Um, let me move on just quickly because I don't want this to get too long the story of, of my break from the church. So this whole period of starting and running a business started literally while I was 23 years old and coming out of grad school and became a long string of what I call 2 a.m. coffee and cigarettes. Yeah, I got rid of the cigarettes, got rid of the 2 a.m. for the most part. <laughs> but at that time, it was just heads down. And so while I was living in community, I wasn't part of the community. Having kids obviously changes that, and I certainly did everything in my power to do the daddy thing. 
and to give my children the same kind of launch uh, in terms of being introduced to the church and to my friend JC and that whole thing. And, and, and so with that, um, I started to break out of my shell, but it was still work and then do the daddy thing. And it was um, Sunday school classes and the Dodd and chaos and, and helping the kids uh, through the program. One little anecdote. Um, gosh, I'm going to forget his name. One of our associate pastors was younger. Eric did the uh, Midway Church later. AC Hanson. Hanson, yeah. So, so we're playing basketball in the gymnasium at the Dodd and Evan, my youngest, is a tall kid. He only has fingers on one hand, but he could play some mean basketball. And he's mixing up with Stacy, who will take no prisoners. And they are going at it under the basket. And the next week, I have Evan in church. And he looks up and he goes, there's that guy. He's, he's the one who was playing basketball. You know, and he couldn't believe that the transition from hard-nosed basketball player to compassionate teacher of Christ is, you know, was, was a, an appropriate thing. But he, he loved it. Um, so this break that I had, I decided that I still had so many questions about my faith. And even though I was going through the motions and doing the daddy thing, I was really starting to think that the, the church did not speak to me. This was, gosh, 15 years ago. And so I decided one thing that if I was going to walk away, I wasn't going to take the easy path. It wasn't going to be a case where it was just a break of convenience because I was tired of going through the motions. If I was going to be a heretic, I was going to be an educated heretic. And I made a commitment to take a disciple class, which led to a second disciple class. And if you know disciple, it's a, it's a pretty much of a year's program, and then you take it the next year. And through that and that study, I, I found a path that's okay for me. And that's all, you know, that's the best way I can put it. I found a path that's okay for me. Um, to paraphrase Yogi Berra, you know, I wouldn't be a member of any church that would have me as a member. <laughs> so I, to this day, have all sorts of of um, doubts and, and concerns about the church. And I don't necessarily walk in lockstep with what it means to be a Methodist. And I hope I won't burn in hell for that. But the reality is it doesn't keep me from wanting to have that special time to sit in a congregation, have quiet time to myself to reflect, to listen to a molar organ played by one of the finest musicians ever to touch the keys, and to have a full voice choir that speaks to what was an early kind of classical music training that, that was in my ear. And that's the culture that speaks to me. And it doesn't make it right or wrong for anybody, but it's what speaks to me. Um, along this same time period, I really started focusing on the love that my friend Jesus Christ kept talking about, and it comes in so many different forms. I had gotten sideways with some people in business, and, you know, just things happen in life, and you're mad at them, and to this day, I could argue that in almost every case, it was their fault, still is, <laughs> but it was hurting me more than it was hurting them, and it was eating at me, and, and we all know how much um, holding bitterness can can impact you. And so I just put down a list of handful of people that I said, you know, I got to try. And I invited them all to lunch. And um, for the most part, they were cordial. It was mending. It was certainly cathartic for me. Um, 
Uh, but at the same time, only one of them really lit up, and it was my former business partner, Bob Atkinson. And he he just looked across the table and he said, Jim, we screwed up. <laughs> that we had had such a, a brotherly relationship. We built a business together. We got sideways. It's unimportant what the details were. But we spent the next five years really rekindling that friendship. Our families did stuff together. We traveled to each other's beach houses. It, it was a real reigniting of a true love and friendship. He's one of the ones that early onset of Alzheimer's and took him out. But my God, how wonderful that we had that time to, to rekindle. It means a lot to me and I hope it did to him. All right, next topic. The journey continues with the story of my marriage. And I am more in love today than I have ever been, but it wasn't always that case. And, uh, and we've all had stumblings in our marriage. And my God, Eric, I know this is recorded, but if it falls in enemy hands, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so I will just tell you that I'm not going to go deep, but there were years of what I would call in the bed estrangement, where for whatever reason and for whatever was eaten at both of us, things just weren't going as well as I'd hoped they could. And there were many, many hours of heartfelt prayers. And yes, probably back then there was a lot of outcome praying, which, you know, goes against my new doctrine. But there was also a lot of praying of how can I figure this out and fix it? Um, this isn't a marriage counseling session, and I'm not going to slip into that. Um, we have found each other. I mean, in a big way, all the way to being sickly lovebirds that are acting like we're in our 20s instead of our 60s. And I will just tell you that it's it's been amazing. Um, we can't wait to be with each other. Uh, probably the number one thing I learned to do was listen. That's a big thing. But again, it's not a marriage counseling session. We have a deep friendship. And um, all I can tell you is that keep working at it because sometimes it takes a lot of prayer and a lot of years. But prayers do get answered. And that was one of the biggest ones I've prayed for outside of dealing with some health issues. So. Anyway, yes, Eric, you alluded to the Rotary story, and it would be improper if I didn't include it because it's become a huge part of my life. And again, you don't know when you wake up in the morning whether something pivotal is going to happen in your life, but I was emerging into the uh, empty nester phase. Evan had gone off to college. Will was, was heading that way, and um, I had a fateful breakfast with Steve Stroud. Next thing you know, I was on two charity boards. I was in Rotary. And suddenly the kid who just who just slept and ate in Roswell, Georgia, was becoming connected. And I will tell you, I truly found my tribe. And um, for any of you all that know anything about Rotary, uh, it has a bad reputation right now. It's that rusty sign you see as you drive into a lot of small towns that says Lions Club and Rotary. And usually it's known as being pale, what, what is it, uh, pale, stale, and male. <laughs> Well, now we actually have women for the last 15, 20 years. Um, but I was opposed to doing it just because of my pre, pre prejudices and, and preconceptions about what being Rotary would be about. Boy, was I surprised. I mean, my dad was in Rotary, my grandfather's in Rotary. And even, even with their stories of Rotary, it was like, I don't think I have any interest in that. But I got to Roswell Rotary, 250 members. What a vibrant group of people that are constantly on fire with missional work, philanthropy, connection to each other. So 
yes, I found my tribe and uh, was honored to be their president in 2015 and 16. And I would say it's, it was the best year of my life. And the irony is that was the year I lost my father just before I took the podium. My wife was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which isn't a death knell, but it's, it's a lot of health maintenance. My son, who decided to spend one year majoring in fraternity at Georgia. Yes, I've written checks to Georgia, Eric. <laughs> but um, went through a true alcoholism break, and we had to pull him out of school and two detoxes and lots of therapy. And thankfully, today, he is two years alcohol-free. He is back in, in charge of life. He is returning to Georgia this fall to finish up a degree that should have been done two years ago. And that's another prayer. So about prayer, you brought it up. <laughs> it's hard not to pray for outcomes. But as soon as you slip into that trap, you do find yourself wrestling with, it was a pretty good prayer. God, why do you not want that person to live? It was a pretty good prayer. God, what was wrong with letting this family eat or whatever, whatever it is that you think is a noble and honorable prayer. And, and that's when you can start to get your head gunched up around, do I really believe that there's a God listening? And when I started to realize the world is a beautiful and wonderful place in which we are given the privilege of, of landing and living in, there is, I still get gunched up with whether it's all preordained and God knows every outcome. I know everybody agrees that that is the case, but I also hope it's a beautiful place where we have the chance to interact and and create our own universe. And I try to do that in my prayer world by simply saying, give me the strength, give the surgeon the wisdom that I know he was sent to college to learn. Let this be a good day for him. Let the world be at peace with what's happening. Help me find peace in the pain or the suffering of what's happening. Um, today I have a business called Metastreams. Usually you start your speech with who is it and what do you do for a living? Guys, especially you go into a cocktail party. What do you do for a living? <laughs> well, MetaStreams is a very successful little business. I have 50 loving employees that help me keep it going with several operations in India and in the Philippines. But what we do is so daggone boring that even I can't make it an elevator pitch that's very exciting. So I'm not going to get into what it is we do. It's in the healthcare space. We, we handle payments but I love it and it's important work. So anyway, we're blessed to be surviving COVID. We've had two good months as a matter of fact, after a few bad months, but we're, we're coming out of it with a success story that says we can survive COVID. Of course, COVID isn't over and it, it could get worse and it could have impacts, but yes, we're getting really good at Zoom meetings, although we were pretty good at it before we started. And we're close with this, this friendship with JC, it's never been stronger. And I give some of the thanks to my small group and to the other circles of friends, both at Rotary and elsewhere. But the old adage, absence makes the heart grow fonder, it could not be more untrue. Absence rarely makes the heart grow fonder. It usually allows the heart to wander. So what do you do to try to make sure that you keep the passion? And my path is, subs is, is supported by as many morning daily Bible studies as I can. Occasionally a workout and whatnot knocks it out of 
the top slot, and that's terrible, but I've really enjoyed first a full left to right read through the Bible, and then followed it with a New Testament read with a 20-volume set to go with it in commentary that does a really good job of saying, what did it mean in its original context? How did we bridge this to today? And what would be its contemporary context? And it helps you take each each passage of the New Testament and, and, and chew on it. Small group obviously gives nourishment. We don't spend a lot of time in deep biblical study. And I am the, uh, I'm the D team when it comes to the four of us because my biblical knowledge is still so far behind um, all three members of my group. I do the job networking and, and I will tell you if I'm not one of the speakers, I have done it, but mostly I'm sitting at the table with a group of people who in many cases are at the lowest point of their life ever. Um, they're wondering how they're going to make the mortgage payment. They've got kids. They've just been riffed out of a job and um, they're desperate and trying to take the message that has just been given by a, a preacher or, or a visiting guest lecturer and turn it into something meaningful is an exercise that's been really fulfilling for me. I hope I've gotten better at it so you can start to pick up on the sensitivities of the people around the table. But it ties into Rotary beautifully and Rotary supports that program because we are the business community. We are where the jobs are. And so there's a, there's a natural connection to try to p help people that are hurting in the, in the out of work market. The missional work that I do is with an organization called Lunches for Learning, and oh my gosh, bring, talk about bringing a tear to the eye. We have a simple formula. We're down in Honduras. It basically says if you will keep your kid in school for another year, another year, we will feed them, and that's the best meal they're going to get all day. It's nutritious. It's, it's you know, the whole nine yards, and the, and the bargain is stay in school. And in staying in school, it enormously changes the potential outcome for these kids. It's in the most rural part of Honduras, and it's really good work, and it really works well. And when I started with the organization, we were feeding kids at eight schools. We're now at 46, except we're not, because right now the entire country is shut down. And the, most, the thing they are most scared about is an American coming down, because their press is filled with nothing but Americans are dying like flies. And they don't have hospitals. They don't, they don't even have a notion of bending the curve. They don't have a place in the ICUs for these people to go. So they are desperately trying to hunker in and stay away from anything external that could infect them. And all the schools are shut down. So we're struggling with how to remain a relevant charity, how to be ready with plan B the minute we can get back in there and how to do it safely. But right now, my heart just breaks because everything that we've accomplished in the last 10 years is, is the pause button has been hit. We're trying to hold on to the team we have down there so that, you know, we can keep paying them, but, but we're not accomplishing the mission. So enough on that, but it's a fulfilling ministry that I hope we can get back to very quickly. And then prayer. And so I'm going to close with the fact that prayer was something that I had to work at. It didn't come naturally. But it's kind of fun when you do it like I've tried to do today, where I talk to my friend. And if you can talk to your friend, Jesus Christ, the prayer comes a little, a little easier. Back to you, Eric. Well, Jim, I think you've, uh, you've illustrated with your talk and with your walk something that um, um, I know I believe in, and I think many men have probably experienced, but I'm going to point it out. I think God places 
us in proximity to each other with a plan, with a capital P plan, with a plan that we don't always see all the edges of. And it's not always an easy journey, um, but it's a worthwhile journey. And not only in our relationship with that other person, but also it helps us get to know what God means to us in the way we experience this world and prepare for the next. Um, I always try and find relevance in the sermon or in the prayer because so often they're reflecting on something that you, you don't see, but something caused them to say that. And so I would ask each man on this call today to think about the people who have been that friend of them or the friend they could have been to somebody else. And, you know, we used to have this excuse that it was hard to get together because, well, they moved away or what, now it's hard to get together even with your next door neighbor. So it's no longer hard to get together really with anybody that you've ever known. And maybe somebody came to mind as Jim was talking a little bit about some of the, some of the parts of his journey. And I would just ask that you, you follow up with that person today, this week, and, you know, tell them a little bit about what you were feeling this morning. Sometimes it's awkward to start off, but oh boy, you know, even if it's only one of those guys who can respond to you in that moment, it opens you up always. It always opens you up to experience more of what God has in store for you. And so I'm so grateful anytime men can get together in a safe environment and talk about the things that really, really matter. Well, and yeah, I will just tell you that as, as a Rotary president, I had to put together 48 weekly meetings out of 52 weeks in a year. And it didn't bother me because in most cases I knew my subject matter talking. This talk is harder because it, you have to reveal yourself. And so, yeah. Well, I appreciate your willingness to, to stretch and open up this morning. Um, I hope that it has had impacts. Um, I can see some from some of the cameras that it has had impacts. Um, and I want to acknowledge and thank God for those moments. And um, I uh, always trying to figure out how to grow this ministry to others and how we can add to it. Um, there's a large body of RUMC right now that are effectively orphans. Uh, if they were not involved in the Sunday school class, the Sunday school classes are the things that are still sort of working and maintaining community. And um, I've been having several conversations trying to look for ways that we can, how do we love our neighbor if we don't know who our neighbors are? And so you're going to be probably getting some communications from me as we use a little bit of technology to discover who your actual neighbors are. Stan lives across the lake from me in Martin's Landing. And between he and I, we're separated by probably less than a half a mile as the crow flies. There are 25 other RUMC people. And I couldn't tell you six of them by name. I wouldn't recognize them in the grocery store. We're gonna work on that problem a little bit together because, um, we can maintain safety in small numbers and take a walk around the lake in a way that we can't easily maintain safety when we fill up the sanctuary right now. And so, you know, I am committed and am asking you to hold me accountable for that as we find out who our neighbors are so that we can 
get to know them because it's hard to love somebody that you don't know. And so, um, Jim, thank you for letting a group of 30 or so guys get to know you in a way that I've taken 20 years to get to know you. And um, I, um, I feel like a kid on Christmas morning who got to open a present. And let, got me to talk, let me toss in this last thing. So I'm 61 now, but when I turned 50, my wife pulled a surprise that I'll never forget. It was the best birthday present I think I've ever gotten. But I got into the office and my door was locked as it's supposed to be. And I opened the door and suddenly four guys broke down in four part harmony. And Eric and his quartet were in my office sending me the best birthday wishes ever. So you're a talented man, my friend. And that was, that was quite a birthday send off. Well, anybody who can survive turning 50 under those conditions <laughs> probably deserves at least that. And I think Greg Lamb is who actually wrote those words. Greg yeah. Lamb is one of those talented individuals who um, is not afraid to take a song that you thought you knew and come up with words that are yeah, especially exactly. appropriate <laughs> for the situation. Not always, uh, uh, not always positive, but appropriate and normally yeah. hopefully for a laugh. So I want to thank everybody for getting together this morning. I'm not going to try and do breakout sessions. Um, at our next meeting in, in September, we will, we will plan at least to talk seriously about do we want to try and do a hybrid meeting where we're going to support Zoom, right? We're going to support Zoom. But if we wanted to also physically gather under some conditions at the church or someplace else, um, I know how important it is sometimes that you can be, um, you know, next to each other in, in close settings. Let me know if you have strong feelings bacon. about that one way or the other. Bacon. 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 And under those conditions, bacon. the bacon will come in something other than a, <laughs> uh, a safety wrapper. So, um, Jim, would you be willing to close us out here with prayer? I'll certainly try. Dear Lord and friend JC, thank you that you helped me share some messages today that I hope resonate, resonate, resonated with someone in the room, but certainly it always helps me. Um, as we go out in the world, take a little bit of, of this communion that we've shared with each other out to our jobs and our our families and our lives, that we can be better men because we've been here this morning. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody. Don't forget to tell somebody what you felt this morning. It's a good thing to do. Mm -hmm.